Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. How is everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. So glad that you are here. I am pumped about today, pumped about continuing this series. I am pumped about the tall gentleman that was standing right here during worship. His name is Robert, and he is an incredible addition to our worship team. And I always get excited when I see new faces getting involved. And Marianne's down there. She's like, yeah, that's my brother. That's right. She's, she's representing the family. That's so good. So uh, I'm just, I'm excited. Um, he did such a great job. I hope that you'll find him maybe after service or whatever and tell him uh, how much you appreciate him leading us in to worship today. So cool when, uh, when, when people jump in and start using their gifts and talents and abilities. And uh, so that's just a great thing. It makes me proud to be the pastor of a church uh, of, with people like that. But um, if you got your Bible or you've got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn or swipe with me um, to the book of 1 Kings. So that's actually found in the Old Testament. In case you're unaware, the Bible is divided up into these two large sections. The beginning, uh, or the big section at the front is the Old Testament. The second section towards the back is the New Testament. And 1 Kings is, um, is in the Old Testament, and it is a book about kings. All right, we're not trying to trick anybody here this morning. Um, so it tells the story of some of the kings in the history of Israel. And then there's a few other major players in that story as well. And we're going to take a look at just a piece of um, the story of, of one of those characters from First Kings this morning. But uh, we'll land there in just a minute. So before we get there, I got to know, are there any thrill seekers in the room? Anybody that would identify themselves as a thrill seeker? How many of you... Any Anybody in the room, have you ever bungee jumped? Anybody? All right, we got a couple. We got a couple. All right, now let me, let, me hear from, let me hear from the rest of you. How many of you say, I wouldn't be caught dead bungee jumping? All right, yeah, most, most of the people, most of the, we got a few crazy people here. Um, so I, I read a story uh, about a couple months ago this, this summer. There was a guy in Poland, and he decided that he was going to bungee jump. And so um, he, it was actually a, a setup where he got inside of, it was kind of like a large cage um, and, and a crane hoisted uh, him up and he, he jumped off of the platform off the edge of this cage and, and it was um, just over 300 feet to the ground. And so he, he plunged off of that and everything was going great until he got to about 40 feet above the ground and the bungee cord snapped. Now, luckily there was one of those large air cushions underneath him. So when he hit it, um, falling 40 feet into that air cushion, the good news is he only broke his spine. So that's, that's the good news. And the, the company, uh, the bungee jumping company that um, was, was, was uh, allowing him to do this and that, that he had gone through and everything, they issued a statement on their Facebook page that said, we just want everybody to know that our, our instructors are very experienced and all of our equipment is 100% certified. Which, you know, makes me feel great because now I can trust something that I read on Facebook 
and have no fear to go bungee jump, right? Like, that's what we're going to do. Like, like thanks for, you know, thanks for that, you know, for telling us that. But, but um, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, and the moral of this story is that you should never go bungee jumping in Poland, Right? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. The, the true moral of this story is, is that whether or not we are willing to recognize it, that when we find ourselves in situations in our lives that bring on tension and stress, if we choose to ignore it, if we choose to overlook it, if we don't deal with it properly, it will eventually catch up to us and cause a great deal of damage. Mismanagement of stress in our lives can not only cause us to break, but it can cause fragmentation, fracturing, and brokenness in most any aspect of our lives, particularly in our relationships with our family, our friends, and our loved ones. But the question is, if, if stress and that kind of strain and that kind of tension like this man's bungee cord apparently experienced, if, if that's unavoidable, then how do we manage it? And today we're in part two of a series that we're calling You Asked For It. And so just like the video said, back at Easter, we handed out surveys to everybody that was in attendance. And anonymously, you got to choose from a list of several topics. And then there were some fill-in blanks where you could ask questions that you had about life, the Bible, and other different topics. And so we took those and we compiled all of the data. And that has what is given us the fodder for this message series. And so if you're not, if you're not happy about what we're talking about for this message series, like I said last week, don't get mad at me. Turn to your neighbor and get mad at them because they're the one that helped to pick the topics for what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. In, uh, in part one, uh, last week, we talked about hope. The question was, how can we have hope in the midst of a world that, that is in the shape that it's in? And when bad things happen in my life, how am I able to have hope? And together we learned that our hope always is, it always was, and it always will be Jesus. And that we weren't made to be in control of everything, but we were meant to put our trust and our hope in the one who is. And today we're gonna to talk about stress. The question is, how can I deal with, how can I manage, how can I cope with the stress in my life? And so we're gonna take a look at, at some of what the Bible teaches us about how we can deal with the stress in our lives. And there's a good chance that some of you here today, like maybe you're watching online with us, maybe you're here in the room, like you may not be a Christ follower. You may not really be sure about this whole Bible thing. And you're really not sure where you stand with Jesus or God's word or any of that. And I just wanna let you know, if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. Christ Walk Church is a place that you don't have to believe in order to belong. But you need to know from the beginning that this church believes that living a life that is in a line with and in keeping with the word of God, we believe that it is the best way that you can possibly live. So I wanna encourage you today, and yeah, we can, we can clap for that, that's okay, because it's the best way to live. 
And, and so if, if you fall into that category or, or that, that tugs at you this morning, I, I just wanna encourage you that, that for today and for the remainder of this series as we talk about these topics, I wanna encourage you in, instead of closing off to, to be open-minded and, and maybe lean in and see if, if there's some nuggets of truth from the word of God that you may be able to apply to your own life that could make a difference. And, and as we were, as we were um, taking these surveys and, and I had them on my desk and, and we were pouring through them and compiling all of the data, I, I was really surprised that stress was such an issue for everybody. And in fact, when I saw it on all of those papers, I had to go to the dictionary and look up stress. Like, because as an almost 40-year-old lead pastor of a church who is married and raising a teenage boy and a preteen daughter and has a brand new puppy in the house. I have no idea what stress is about. And so I had to go to the dictionary and look it up just to be sure to see what it was that everybody was dealing with and why they felt like it was such an important topic. And, and on top of all that, I'm a Kentucky fan. And well, we won't talk about that today. <laughs> But obviously, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're all stressed. I get it. You know, and it is an important topic. Like, like, show of hands, how many of you would say that like right now or at some point in your life, you've been stressed out? All right, if you don't have your hand raised, you're a liar, okay? <laughs> and you've never raised a teenager. Um, <laughs> uh, stress, is, stress is a big deal. And, and the truth is that, that whether we're, we're willing to recognize it or not, whether we're willing to admit it or not, at some point in our lives, we are all going to have a run-in with stress. And just to be sure that we're all on the same page this morning, let's, before we move on, let's establish a working definition for what we're calling stress. And, and in order to do that, we need to first understand that stress is actually a shortened version of the word distress, and when we look up distress in the dictionary, according to dictionary.com, distress means to afflict with great pain, anxiety or sorrow, trouble, worry, to bother, to subject to pressure, stress or strain, or to embarrass or exhaust by strain. And some of you are just stressed out like listening to that definition like, you're just tired. You're like, is it over yet? I'm done. And, and stress, it's simply unavoidable. Like, I, I hate to, to, to paint that picture for you this morning, but that's the truth. It's, it's unavoidable. No matter what we do, we will never, ever likely be able to get rid of stress completely. And stress, not only is it unavoidable, but it's also relative. The thing that stresses you out may not stress me out. And the thing that stresses me out may not stress you out. But at the end of the day, there's something out there somewhere that is going to cause you and me stress at some point. So if, if stress is inevitable and there's nothing that we can do to avoid it, there's nothing that we can do to completely eradicate it from our lives, then our best course of action is to learn how to manage it appropriately. According to a recent article in Preaching Today, here's how Americans attempt to manage their stress. 
Here's the activities that they participate in. 52% of all Americans listen to music in order to try to cope with and manage their stress. 47% exercise or walk. 44% read. What a bunch of nerds. 40, I'm kidding. I like to read. 41% spend time with friends or family. 41% watch TV or movies two or more hours a day in order to deal with stress. 38% take a nap. Can I get an amen? 37% play video games or surf the internet. Both of my kids must be really stressed if that's the case. Now, I don't have a problem with any of the things in that list. In fact, I think that all of those things, all of those activities can be healthy and productive ways to cope with and manage the stress that's in our lives. And, and due to the way that the percentages work out, it's clear that, that the majority of Americans, they're taking more than one approach, trying out multiple activities at handling their stress. But when I do look at that list, I see that there's one thing in particular that is, it's glaringly missing from the list. And to explain to you what I'm talking about, I'd, I'd like for us to jump into our passage today in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, which tells part of the story of a man named Elijah. Before we start reading together there in verse one, let me first give you a little bit of background information on who this guy Elijah is and what he's all about so that we'll all be on the same page with where to start from here. So Elijah, um, he is a prophet of God during a time of very wicked leadership in Israel at the hands of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And when Elijah comes on the scene, um, the first thing he does, like right off the bat, he, he goes to Ahab and he says, hey, it's not gonna rain until I say so. Like that's pretty bold and brazen like right there. And so for, for three and a half years, no rain falls from the clouds. Dew doesn't cover the earth in that part of the world. And this causes a great deal of animosity to arise between Ahab and Jezebel toward Elijah. And ultimately, kind of the, the pinnacle of Elijah's existence, really, it, it culminates on a, a place called Mount Carmel, where Elijah goes out and he faces 450 prophets of a false god named Baal and 400 prophets of a false god named Asherah. And it is there that, that there's a showdown between Elijah and all of these other prophets. And, and he challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest between them and, and the God of Elijah to see who can rain down fire from heaven. And Elijah being the gentleman that he is, he allows the prophets of Baal and Asherah to go first. And so they set up the altar and they put the sacrifice on and, and they're screaming and they're crying out to Baal and, and they're, they're pleading for him to send down fire. And, and they begin to, to dance and to chant, and to cut themselves. And they're doing all kinds of crazy things. And Elijah begins to mock them. And he's saying, maybe he's not listening. Maybe he's gone deaf. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's gone on a long journey or whatever. And nothing happens. And so then Elijah, it becomes his turn and 
he says, all right, before we do this, let's make it interesting. Let's fill up some bowls full of water and, and let's pour water on top of the sacrifice and get it good and soaked and water fills the trench that's around it. And then Elijah plays a very, prays a very simple prayer and God sends fire from heaven. And it consumes not just the offering, it consumes the wood and the stones and all of the water to only the dust below is left. And it's at this point that Elijah has had this incredible victory on Mount Carmel, which really infuriates Ahab and Jezebel. And Jezebel then tells Elijah, I almost ran right there. <laughs> and Sandra would have been in line right behind me and it would have been me and Sandra doing laps. <laughs> Jezebel, she's infuriated with Elijah and she tells him before this day is out, I'm gonna kill you. And that's where we pick up in 1 Kings 19, starting with verse one, King Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how Elijah had killed all the prophets with a sword, all 850 of them. He had laid them to waste with a sword. Verse two, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me terribly if by this time tomorrow I don't kill you just as you killed those prophets. And when Elijah heard this, he was afraid and he ran for his life, taking his servant with him. And when they came to Beersheba in Judah, Elijah left his servant there. And then Elijah walked for a whole day into the desert. He sat down under a bush and asked to die. I've had enough, Lord, he prayed. Let me die. I am no better than my ancestors. Verse five. Then he lay down under the tree and slept. Suddenly an angel came to him and touched him. Get up and eat, the angel said. And Elijah saw near his head a loaf baked over coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank. Then he went back to sleep. Verse seven. Later, the Lord's angel came to him a second time and the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. If you don't, the journey will be too hard for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank. The food made him strong enough to walk for 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There Elijah went into a cave and stayed all night. And then the Lord spoke his word to him. Elijah, why are you here? He answered, Lord God, all powerful, I have always served you as well as I could. But the people of Israel have broken their agreement with you, destroyed your altars and killed your prophets with swords. I'm the only prophet left and now they are trying to kill me too. Verse 11. The Lord said to Elijah, go stand in front of me on the mountain and I will pass by you. Then a very strong wind blew until it caused the mountains to fall apart and large rocks to break in front of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a quiet, gentle sound. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his coat and he went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And then a voice said to him, Elijah, why are you here? 
And he answered, Lord God, all powerful, I've always served you as well as I could, but the people of Israel have broken their agreement with you, destroyed your altars and killed your prophets with swords. I'm the only prophet left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back on the road that leads to the desert around Damascus. Enter that city and pour olive oil on Haziel to make him king over Aram. And then pour oil on Jehu, son of Nimshi, to make him king over Israel. Next, pour oil on Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to make him a prophet in your place. Verse 17, Jehu will kill anyone who escapes from Haziel's sword. And Elisha will kill anyone who escapes from Jehu's sword. I have 7,000 people left in Israel who have never bowed down before Baal and whose mouths have never kissed his idol. Verse 19, so Elijah left that place and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field with a team of oxen. He owned 12 teams of oxen and was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah came up to Elisha, took off his coat and put it on Elisha. Then Elisha left his oxen and ran to follow Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And Elisha said, then I will go with you. Elijah answered, go back, doesn't matter to me. Verse 21, so Elisha went back and took his pair of oxen and killed them. He used their wooden yoke for a fire and then he cooked the meat and gave it to the people. And after they ate it, Elisha left and followed Elijah and became his helper. Now, let me explain to you a little bit of what's going on here. Elijah has just had this incredible experience on Mount Carmel where he was doing great things for God and the kingdom. Like, can you imagine being there on that mountaintop and calling down fire from heaven and it happening? Like, that was truly a mountaintop experience in his life. And as I said, it was the climax, it was the culmination of his ministry to that point. And he's had this incredible experience to take place, but yet he comes down off of the mountain and because he's the only prophet left and because Jezebel has said, I'm going to, to expend all of my resources available in order to have you killed the way that you killed all of those prophets and everything. He starts to feel lonely. He starts to throw a pity party for himself. He leaves behind a servant. He goes all the way out into a desolate place in the middle of the desert, and he throws a pity party for himself. And it's at this point, despite the fact of all of the things that he has just done in the name of the Lord, Elijah has ultimately become suicidal. And he's saying, God, I want you to take my life. I don't deserve to live. I'm all alone. I'm the only prophet left. All of these things that Elijah had done weren't enough to fulfill him. And so he gets to this place of despair. And it paints this picture for us of the juxtaposition between what I like to call human beings versus human doings. Obviously, you and I know that we were created as human beings. We were not created as human doings. And so no matter what we do, no matter what we are able to produce in our life, ultimately, it will never fulfill us because we were not created to do, we were created to be. We were created as human beings. And a lot of us, the reason we're so stressed out in our life is because we have placed 
production on the top pedestal, and that's been the number one focus in our life. And many of us, we find ourselves in a position where we are living to work rather than working to live. And we find ourselves focused on making the sale or getting the A, landing the account, gaining the followers, getting the promotion, winning the game, padding the bank account, or simply being the best. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong at all, unless they take away our focus from the thing that is the most important. See, here's the deal. Whatever we stress about in our life, it reveals what we truly care about. And if we're always stressed about achieving the next big thing here, we have to question whether or not our hearts are aligned with God's kingdom or if we're just simply focused on building our own kingdom instead. And ultimately, this, this passage that we just read and, 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 and what, we, what we learn in this passage about Elijah, ultimately what it does is it points us to a, a really beautiful picture of this word that we throw around in the church and, and in, in uh, religious circles called Sabbath. All right? And, and I know what you might be thinking, like, really? First Kings 19 talks about the Sabbath? Like, let me, let me see if I can explain this a little bit and kind of break it down for you because I really think that, that that's really at the heart of this passage, particularly as we look at it through the lens of how can we cope with the stress that is in our life? Because we find Elijah at a place where he is stressed. He is, he's completely distressed to the point that, that he's so anxious and full of anxiety and everything that he's, he's wishing for his life to be taken away from him. And so when we talk about Sabbath, what Sabbath means, it literally means period of rest. And Sabbath is a time where nothing is being produced, but rather the things that have already been produced are, or created are, are simply being enjoyed, okay? So Sabbath, like it, in our circle here for today, it's Sunday, it's what we would call the Sabbath day, back in, in, um, in, in the original Hebrew culture, the, the, the early Jewish culture, they would have celebrated Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And most Christians today, not all, but most, celebrate it on Sunday because that is the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And I'm not here today to get into a debate as to which day of the week that Sabbath should fall on. I'm I'm more interested in talking to you this morning about the concept of Sabbath. Sabbath was established by God all the way back at the beginning of creation. God created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. God took a day to simply enjoy what he had created the six days before. And if God needed to rest, then you better believe that you and I do. And then we fast forward a little bit and we find the, we find the Israelites out in the wilderness and, and God is, is raining down manna from the sky and he told them on the sixth day of the week, 
You are to collect a double portion. See, days one through five, if they collected a double portion, then the next morning, what was left over, it would have been rotten and full of worms and disgusting and everything. But on day six, they were to collect a double portion so that then they could have food. On day seven, they could spend a time of rest and simply enjoy the life that was around them. And then it's during this time that, that Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God. And, and Commandments 1 through 3 focus on man's relationship to God. And, and Commandments 5 through 10 focus on man's relationship to man. And then right in the middle, we have Commandment number 4, which says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. See, the Sabbath, it serves as the connection point between keeping everything aligned, both our relationship with God and our relationship with our fellow man. And then that points all the way to the New Testament when Jesus was asked, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these commands hang all the law and the prophets. And so we see how the Sabbath and this, this idea of a period of rest is woven into the complete narrative of Scripture and who we are to be as followers of Jesus Christ. And so now as we look back to this 1 Kings passage, 1 Kings 19, I believe there's five things from this passage that are in keeping with what the Lord has established as Sabbath for us that will also aid in helping us to manage the stress that is in our lives. So if you're taking notes, maybe you wanna write these down. They're gonna be pretty rapid fire. But so just make a list of five. And the first one is... Sleep, good sleep. Notice what Elijah did. He went out into the desert and he was stressed and he was asking God to take his life and he laid down under a tree and then he went to sleep. Some of us, you just need to take a nap. That's what you need to do. Some of you need to wake up right now and take your nap later. You're like, Pastor, I'm just practicing good Sabbath. I come every morning, just lay my head back against that comfortable chair. I get good rest. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But somebody, you need permission today. Go home, turn on golf, and just take a nap. I can't think of a better way to spend a Sunday afternoon than that right there. You need permission to just go home and take a nap. Some of you, you need permission. Get a full eight hours at night. Right. Some of you, maybe you need a, a swift kick in the pants to get a full eight hour, like quit staying up late, go to bed at a decent hour and get a full eight hours of sleep. You just need to sleep. That's part of what the Sabbath was created for so that we could sleep. This is the prescription that God gave to Elijah to deal with his stress was simply just to sleep. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I'm not giving anybody permission to be lazy. That's not what I'm talking about. No, you work hard for six days. You put the effort in, you put the time in, but, but then there, there comes a point in time where we, have to, where we have to tend to our needs and we need sleep. It's part of how we were designed, how, we're, how we were created by our heavenly father. And so some of us, like, you just need a good nap. 
Imagine, like, you, you know, like, when you have a nap, you wake up from a nap, like, there's a reason you feel so good, because it's good for you. And so there's some people in here that you are stressed to the max, and today, from the word of the Lord and the word of your pastor, you just need to go home and take a nap, and you'll feel so much better. Number one, you need good sleep. Number two, you need a good meal. You need a good meal. Not only did Elijah lay down and sleep, but then the angel woke him up and brought him some food and said, you need to eat. All right? So some of us, we need to go home this afternoon. We need to take a nap. We need to get up. We need to have a good meal. All right? That's a prescription for us managing our stress. That's part of what the Sabbath is all about. We need to fill our bodies with some good nutrition to replenish the things that we have lost during the work week. The things that we have, that we have pushed out of our body, we need to be sure that we're putting those things back in so that we can continue to carry on. Some of us, we need to, the best thing that we could do to, to manage our stress is to eat a strengthening, sustaining meal with healthy benefits. All right, I'm not talking about a share pack of Skittles and a 64-ounce Mountain Dew. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, there's a time and a place for everything, but this is not the time and the place for that. Like, you need to eat something with, with some, some nourishment. And, and I can think about, like, you know, when, when I was growing up, and when, when my parents were growing up and, and generations gone before me, and I go back to like, I think about like the Andy Griffith show. And like on Sunday morning, they would go to church and then they're all over and they're gathered around and Aunt B's cooking a big meal and then they're out on the porch picking and grinning on the guitar and they're kicked back and Barney's laying over there and he's taking a nap and there's something to be said for that and we've gotten away from that in our culture. And I think what we need to do to reclaim the Sabbath is we need to go to church and then we need to go home and we need to have a little nap and then we need to eat a big meal and we need to feel good. That'll help to blow off some stress and some steam in our life. It's what Elijah did. He went out, he got alone, he took a nap, and he ate. Number one, get some good sleep. Number two, eat some good food. Number three, repeat. And this is how I know that the Lord loves us. Because when we read in 1 Kings 19, Elijah didn't just take one nap, he took two. He didn't just eat one meal, he ate two. And so some of us, like, we need, to, we need to take a nap and we need to eat a meal and then we need to repeat it so that we can, we can replenish, that we can, we can prepare for the journey or the season, this next thing that God has for us. Six days we work and then on the seventh we rest and we recuperate and we get good sleep and we fill our bodies with good food so that we can be prepared to go out the next week and do it all over again. Elijah was getting ready to, to walk for 40 days through the desert. And the angel told him, you need to eat. If you don't eat, if you don't rest, then, then you're not going to be able to sustain the journey. God's calling you guys to do something. He's calling us to, to fulfill some things in our life, but we can't because we are stressed out and we are, we are undernourished and we are under, under, like we don't get enough sleep and we're tired and we're exhausted and we can't do anything for the Lord because we're not taking care of ourselves. We're not Sabbathing well the way that we are supposed to. And so the word of the Lord for some people in here is not only do you need to take one nap, you need to take two. 
Not only do you need to eat some fried chicken, but you need to throw a steak in there as well. You need to get your body some good things. Put some vegetables out on the plate. Fill your belly. Get a good meal so that you can sustain what God is calling you to do. Repeat it. And then that brings us to what I said before, that the way that Americans deal with stress, that there's a missing piece. The missing piece is an encounter with God. It's one thing to take a nap. It's another thing to eat a good meal. But if our Sabbath doesn't include an encounter with God, there's always going to be a hole there. If, 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 if the weeks that we live, the days that we live turn into weeks and months and years and we are not regularly, consistently having an encounter with God, something is always going to be missing. Elijah went to the cave and there was, there was a great wind and there was an earthquake and there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in any of those things. I think a lot of times we're looking for God in the big and the bold and the boisterous and we wanna to go to where all the crowds are and we wanna to go to where, 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 where we'll be seen and where it's loud and, and all of these things. And, and, but God's not in all of that. God was in the still, small, gentle whisper. And here's what I know about whispers. If you're not up close and personal with somebody, you can't hear when they whisper. If you haven't eliminated the noise and the distractions out of your life, you're not going to be able to hear the still, small whisper. And so what, what God is saying to us out of this passage is, is not only do we need to take a good nap, not only do we need to eat a good meal, not only do we need to repeat steps one and two, but we need to eliminate our life with all of the distractions and all of the noise. And we need to set aside specific time to draw close to the Father to get up close and personal. We're not viewing him from a distance. No, we're drawn close. We're, we're right beside him, intimate, where we can hear the still, small whisper. And it was in the midst of that still, small whisper that Elijah found out that all of the things he was stressed over, God already had a plan in place for them. God said, don't you see, I've got Haziel and, and anyone that escapes Haziel, I've got Jehu and anybody who escapes Jehu, I've got Elisha. Don't you see, you don't need to worry. You don't need to stress out. I've already got it covered. I've got your back. There is a plan in place. And some of us, we are so stressed out and we, we feel like God, God isn't hearing us or God's not doing anything in our lives. It's because we filled our lives with so much junk and so much noise and so much activity. And go, go, go and do, do, do that we've stopped taking the time to get up close and personal to hear the whisper of the Lord telling us it's gonna be okay. I've got a plan for you. I've already worked it out. I've already made the way. But we miss out on it because we're trying to fill our time with so many other things instead of just taking a nap, eating a good meal, and drawing close to the Lord. That's what this is all about. 
That's why we gather here every single Sunday. It's to carve out time for us to, to rid ourselves of the distractions and the noise and open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, open our lives to the things that God is wanting to whisper into our souls. Get some good sleep. Eat a good, nutritious meal. Repeat steps one through two, amen. Have an encounter with God. Those God encounters are going to lead us to number five. God-ordained relationships. God-ordained relationships. The Sabbath is about gathering together with people. It's about gathering together with people. It's about us being with other people, investing in relationships that help to build the kingdom. Look around this room. That's what you're doing right now. That's why we meet in small groups. That's why we gather together on serve teams. It's about being a part of a group that is bigger than us and investing in relationships with other people to make a kingdom difference. They are God-ordained. God is bringing them together. That's why we leave this place and, and we get together with our family and our friends and we sit around a dinner table. It's kingdom relationships that are taking place. There's some people in, in our church that um, Tony and Jordan Dean, some of you may know them, and, and they live three doors down from me and Sarah. And there's a cul-de-sac in between our houses. And recently, Tony, who has an affinity for, for baseball, he's, he started to gather all of the neighborhood kids together on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings at six o'clock. We get in the cul-de-sac, we play wiffle ball. And it started out with just five or six kids. And then I think the last time there was like 30. On the Sabbath, kingdom relationships. Here we have this family that they've, they've put themselves out there. And through the game of wiffle ball, just enjoying life. They're living godly examples in front of the kids all over our neighborhood. And word has spread and there's kids from adjacent neighborhoods that have gotten word of and they've started to come. It's making a difference. But that comes out of the overflow of what Tony and Jordan are doing with the rest of their Sabbath. They're doing it the right way and God's leading them to build these God-ordained relationships in the same way that God sent Elijah to Elisha. And so Elijah, watch what happens. Elijah leaves where he is and he marches through the desert for 40 days and he's, he's sustained by the rest, by the sleep. He, he's sustained by the food that he ate and he goes and he, he finds Elisha. He takes his coat, his mantle, but identified him as the prophet. He puts it on Elisha. Subsequently, Elisha receives a double portion of the prophetic mantle of Elijah. And you can, you can read Elisha's story and he did the same things times two that Elijah did. And then we have Elijah who once was pleading for the Lord to take his life. 
that he's now invested in the next generation. He's raised up someone who can carry on after him. And then the Lord sees fit to call him to heaven, not through death, but in one of the coolest ways to ever go out in a chariot of fire. That's how I wanna go. Can you imagine the man that was crying out for God to take his life a short time later being carried up into the heavens in a chariot of fire all because he followed this path. Eat some good food, get some good sleep, repeat, have an encounter with God invest in God-ordained kingdom-building relationships. The end result of all of that, Elijah found rest. He found rest. And rest is the counter-agent to stress. You cannot be stressed and rested. Those two things don't coexist. Rest means to relieve weariness by cessation of exertion or labor, to be free from worry, to be tranquil. If this is what Elijah experienced, and this is what you and I can experience by practicing this on a weekly basis, and that it, it would help us to overcome the negative effect of stress in our lives, why wouldn't we do it? Every single one of you raised your hand and said, right now or at some point in my life, I've been stressed. And then the Bible paints us this clear picture of exactly how we can manage it. By not producing, by not creating, but by simply stopping to take the time to enjoy what is. That's the Sabbath. See, instead of being distressed, you and I can live de-stressed. But an exchange has to take place. You have to trade your stress for something else. Let me explain what I mean. There was a psychologist who was teaching a class on stress management to her audience one day. She took a glass of water and as she raised the glass of water, everyone in the room expected she was going to ask them, is the glass half full or is it half empty? But instead, with a smile on her face, she simply inquired, how heavy is this glass of water? And answers called out from all over the room ranged anywhere from eight ounces to 20 ounces. And she replied, the, the absolute weight doesn't matter. It depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute, it's not really a problem. If I hold it for an hour, my arm will begin to ache. If I hold it for a day, my arm's gonna go numb and feel paralyzed. In each case, the weight of the glass of water doesn't change. But the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. She continued, the stresses and the worries of our life are just like this glass of water. Think about them for a little while, nothing really happens. Focus on them a bit longer, they begin to hurt. 
think about them all day long, they'll end up paralyzing you. You'll be incapable of doing anything. It's important for you and I to remember this isn't our burden to bear. Or to bear. At some point, we gotta sit the glass down. Why are you trying to struggle with something that you weren't meant to carry? Why are we trying to handle things that God never meant for us to control? He says so in his word. He he says, this is the word of uh, Jesus speaking in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So you and I, the way I see it, we've got two choices in how we live our life. We can either live our life distressed or we can live our life de-stressed. The choice is ours. And God is saying in that verse, come to me. It's that missing piece. Get up close and personal with me so that you can hear me whisper. And if you'll do that, you will find rest for your very soul. He's calling us to him today. What's your response gonna be? I hope it'll be something like this. God, today I come to you and I give you my burdens. And in exchange, I take your yoke instead. I realize that through you, I can accomplish more in six days than I could ever accomplish in seven days without you. Lord, my confidence today is in your faithfulness to me. And this morning, I choose to rest in your promises. Instead of distress, I choose to de-stress. I choose rest for my soul this morning. If that's you, you're here this morning, you're carrying a heavy load, hear the word of the Lord. You don't have to leave here with that. You can lay it down right where you're at. The band's gonna lead us in worship. They're gonna sing. Sing a, sing a song that, part of a song that we sang earlier today. And I just wanna encourage you to, maybe you need to stand, maybe you just need to lift your hands, symbolic of handing that burden over to God. Maybe you need to kneel right where you're at and lay your burden down at your seat and leave it there before you, before you head out of this place. Maybe, maybe you want somebody to pray with and for you today. However you see fit to respond in worship to the Lord, I wanna invite you to do that this morning as the band leads us in song. But whatever way that is, let's be sure that we're not leaving here today stressed out and carrying the burdens that we brought in with us. Burdens we never were meant to carry in the first place. 
And let's begin. Maybe, maybe we haven't been doing such a good job of it up to this point, but let's, let's choose once and for all beginning right now that from this point on, we're gonna Sabbath well. We're gonna take naps. We're gonna eat good food. We're gonna do that times two. We're gonna seek God up close and personal to have an encounter with him. And we are going to lean in to the God-ordained kingdom building relationships that he's placed around us. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you are inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristblock.com.